Good morning. If uh, you're in the foyer and you could make your way in, that would be great. We'll get started with uh, our last section of uh, the Apostles' Creed, the last topic we're going to discuss in this uh, that we've been going on with. I appreciate your listening to it. I hope that it's been informative, that it's been uh, applicable, and that you can see, for those of you who know the Apostles' Creed, who have participated with it and, and quoted it over the years, memorized it, I hope that I've maybe been able to share some insights to it to make it much more applicable to your life today. Because like anything, it can become just memory, we forget it, you know, we just quote it because we can quote it, and uh, it's much more important than that. Uh, by way of announcement, if any of you are interested in the notes that I wrote up um, to teach this, there's a few other things that I didn't go over. Um, uh, let me know, and I'll print them up, and you can have a copy of them, no problem in that. Um, let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, as we take time today to again look at this document, this creed that guided uh, early Christians for many years, and parts of it that go clear back to the time of the apostles and what they what they taught and what they believed, I pray that as we uh, finish up with it, that it would be insightful, that we can um, apply it to our lives and our and our Christian walk on this earth in this day in this modern age that we live in. Thank you for this time. Guide my conversation that it would be appropriate and that your spirit would uh, use me as, as your voice. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So by way of, let's see if I don't tear this thing off. By uh, way of review, we've, uh, we've looked at theology proper, which is uh, making sense of God the Father. We've looked at Christology, which is making sense of Christ. And now today we're going to look at pneumatology, introduce another big word to you, and that's making sense of the Holy Spirit. Um, some of you that maybe are the older generation would have used a word that we don't use today, and that would have been Holy Ghost. Um, it comes from uh, pneuma, which is Greek for spirit. And so pneumatology would be making sense of the Holy Spirit in that. So that's that's the, uh, where we're going to go today is this topic uh, theologically of pneumatology and that. There's another word that I came across, and I thought I've heard it in years past, but it wasn't uh, something that was really taught, but it certainly makes a lot of sense when we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and when we're talking about Trinity and Trinitarian, and, that, and that's consubstantial. Of the same substance or essence, all the attributes of the Father and Jesus Christ are the same for the Holy Spirit. And in today's day and age, that gets misrepresented. Sometimes there'll be a focus too much on the Holy Spirit. In some of our churches, we see that. Sometimes it will drift away from the importance of Jesus Christ and his attributes. And then also sometimes the attributes of God are watered down and turned into a term God is love and that's where they end it so but all the aspects all the attributes are shared by each one of the individuals and that term consubstantial is that term that they would use you would see there yes right yeah 
you can't any any um, any metaphor that we use or any example we use will always break down at some point. And the idea of H2O being water uh, is a good way to try to communicate that to children. You know, you have uh, H2O in three different uh, physical attributes: uh, ice, liquid, and a gas. And so you can use that to introduce the concept of the Trinity to children. Don't take it too far. Don't tie it in any one of those to, well, God's ice and Christ is this and that, but you can use that idea overall. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. So um, to go back into history a little bit, which I like to do, and uh, there was an individual named Irenaeus. Uh, he was a uh, second century church father. Without him, we may not understand uh, the Trinity as we now do. He was very instrumental in forming uh, the theology and the teaching of the Trinity at a very early time in church history. And he developed this understanding of the Holy Spirit. He used a term that was essential to discussions of salvation because he tied the, the importance of the Holy Spirit into salvation. And his term that he used is uh, that he coined or that was used of it was the economy of salvation. For him it meant the way in which the one God has ordered the salvation of humanity in history. And so that was a term that he used to introduce the whole concept of the Holy Spirit and to flesh out, if you will, this teaching of the Trinity. And that comes from the second century um, in that. So it's not, we've been having debates about the, uh, the Trinity and about the Holy Spirit for many years. And so it's nothing new. We don't need to think that it's, oh, just in our day and age, it's not, it goes way back. Uh, the Holy Spirit, we're going to now go into some scripture um, to teach about it. The Holy Spirit is revealed in three ways in the Old Testament. Uh, the Hebrew word is rash, R-U-A-C-H, meaning spirit. He's revealed as wind, he's revealed as breath, and he's revealed as a charisma, um, C-H-A-R-I-S-M. Obviously, we already get the word charismatic in that. So let's look at, um, briefly, let's look at as a wind. We see it in Exodus chapter 14, verse 21. So if you'll turn there, if you'd like to, Exodus chapter 14 and verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind all that night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided. We see that in that verse, there's the idea of power and redemptive purposes. Um, again, there's the idea of a wind. Uh, it's not clearly stated, but in Hosea chapter 6, verse 3, the western wind that blew in that area, kind of like what sometimes we get around here, was a sense of refreshment to the people. It brought moisture. It took the, the hot, arid climate. It kind of cooled it down because what's to the west of the promised land? It's a big body of water called the Mediterranean Sea. And so it would bring that cooling effect in, probably similar to those of you who've grown up along the coastlines of California or in the East Coast as well. So it's shown there as a win, the idea of the Holy Spirit. As breath, we see it in Genesis um, 
If you turn there. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. Also, we see it in Ezekiel 37, 9 through 10, and that's the uh, Valley of Dry Bones. I'm not going to go there at this point, uh, but it's the idea of God breathing in uh, into those dry bones to bring them back to life. And then one passage that I would like to, to turn to is uh, Genesis or uh, Psalms 104, Psalm 104, and we'll look at verses uh, 27 through uh, 31. Psalm 104. We'll look at uh, verses 27 through 31. All of them wait for you to give them their food at the right time. When you give it to them, they gather it. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the land. When you send your breath, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. And there again, that idea that the Holy Spirit is described as breath and it brings life in that. And then another way it's used of is... Uh, uh, charisma, which is a filling of the individual with the Spirit of God. And we see that a little bit in uh, Genesis chapter 41, uh, verses 38 and 39. So if you turn there, Genesis chapter 41, verses 38 and 39. Genesis chapter 41. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find anyone like this man who has God's spirit in him? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no, uh, there is no one as intelligent and wise as you are. You will be over my house, and all the people will obey your commands. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, See, I am placing you over all the land of Egypt. And that idea there of, of wisdom, charisma, filling, with an in, a filling of an individual with the Spirit of God. And in that instance, it's shown as wisdom. The other, uh, the other um, idea that it's used as is in uh, military prowess. One of the individuals that we know well, it'd be uh, Samson. And we can turn to Judges 14, verse 6. And it's the Holy Spirit that empowered Samson, not just his physical abilities. It wasn't like he was out lifting weights. Um, Judges chapter 14, verse 6. Stated clearly here, the Spirit of the Lord took control of him, and he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might tear a young goat. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. And that. So there was that. And then uh, also verse 19. The Spirit of the Lord took control of him, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men. He stripped them and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. In a rage, Samson returned to his father's house. So again, this idea that he was empowered through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
um, is part of that. And this is in the Old Testament. Um, and then also, more importantly probably, is in prophecy. And we can turn to Isaiah 61.1. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim, and to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. Been that. So we see that there. Also in Ezekiel 2, 1, and also Micah 3, 8 is similar passages referring to... Um, the message, not just the behavior of the prophet, but the message, not what, how they acted or reacted in society, but specifically the message. Then we'll go into the, the New Testament, and I want to look at a little bit of how Paul understood the Holy Spirit, what he was doing with uh, how he used the, the um, Holy Spirit, how he talked about him, how he understood making sense of him. And then we'll look at a uh, passage in John, uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, as we'll spend a little bit more time. So uh, in Paul, the life in the Spirit is a contrast that he's always making with the life in the flesh. And we can see that in, uh, let's turn to Romans 8.16. Romans 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. So, you know, Paul is relating how, how the Spirit works with us inside of our lives to testify to us. And then also in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 22. And I said it before, but again, these, this list is not exhaustive in any way, so don't think that it is. What's that? Oh, yeah, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 22. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. The idea that we're sealed. He has also sealed us and given us the Spirit as a down payment in our hearts. And the heart is the, um, the emotional side of our, of our being. And when you look at scriptures like this, where you're t uh, it's talking about that. The mind is the intellect. The heart would be the emotional side. So, and then also Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. And the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. The word down payment again shows up. The idea that he was given to us in that area. Um, the Holy Spirit is the source of spiritual gifts in people and in the church. If you look at Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8.
Romans chapter 12, and we'll look at verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we who are many are in one body in Christ, individually, members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. If service, in service. In teaching, if teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving, with generosity. Leading, with diligence. Showing mercy, with cheerfulness. Again, these idea that the, these gifts are empowered through the Holy Spirit. And then also, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. Even in verse 1, now concerning what comes from the Spirit, he didn't want, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware. And then we can jump down to verse 4. Now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God activates each gift in each person. A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the performing of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another different kinds of language, and to another interpretation of language. But one and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. So there again we see... Paul understood the function of, the, of the, how the Holy Spirit imparted these gifts to us into the church and into individuals. What's that? Oh, I'm sorry. That would be 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, one, starting in verse 1, is the context down through verse 11. Actually, pretty much the whole chapter you could read. And that would give you the context you need. Any other comments or questions on that section? Yes. For a long time when I was first saved, I didn't understand what filling of the Spirit was. But that word, and I noticed in the translation, it was control. Yeah. Who is controlling you? Right. And what we want is the Spirit to control us. Yes. Is being yes, yeah. Guyan brought out the point that when she first came to uh, faith in Christ, that um, the word filling, she out, she was having a hard time with that, understanding how it, how to understand it, and how it worked in her life, and she came to realize that in my version, it uses the word control, and that's what the idea of being filled with the Spirit is, is is it's His influence in controlling us. And that's what we should be uh, moving toward. Not an emotional um, advancement or not an emotional uh, stirring, if you will, 
when we're filled with the Spirit, that means we're being obedient to the truth in the Word of God. And I think uh, that will become a little bit maybe more apparent as we go down through some of these other things. But thank you, Guyan, for that. Yeah, it's, it's that idea of control is what filling is in that. Um, so we're going to, uh, any other comments or questions or, okay. Let's go, go ahead. No, we're going to, we're going to stay in the Holy Spirit in that. And, uh, well, I'll tie it up when I get to the application side of things, how it become apparent to me in the Apostles' Creed. But anyway, let's, uh. No, I'm not moving past it. I'm actually going to John chapter 14 through verses 16. This is Christ's teaching about the Holy Spirit and him, uh, how we're going to get the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is going to do in our lives. And there's uh, four ideas that uh, Al Mohler brings out in his book, and I'll probably quote quite a bit from his book actually as we go through this um, there's the idea of the Holy Spirit abides the Holy Spirit teaches the Holy Spirit testifies and the Holy Spirit is truth and that so we're going to start with the idea of abides and that is found in verses uh, chapter 14 verses 16 and 17 and this if you're wanting to understand more in depth about the Holy Spirit I would say that these two chapters are as crucial as you can get to reading about the Holy Spirit. Corinthians talks about it in the light of the gifts. We just looked at those. Romans has, has about the battle, and I'll go through that in a little bit. But when you're actually looking at, at the, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how it affects us and impacts us in our day-to-day -day walk, this passage in John 14 through 16 is critical. I know Pastor Kent, when he was preaching through the book of John, spent uh, a lot of time walking through these, this passage, and so it's important. So I would encourage you to, to do that. This is a good passage. If you're concerned and you're questioning or wanting to know more about the Holy Spirit in your, in your life and that. So let's verse, read verses 16 through 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it does not see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as the orphans. I am coming to, the, to you. So the idea that the Holy Spirit is going to abide with us, he's going to live with us, he's going to live inside of us, is being fleshed out here. Uh, Christ promised not just to his disciples, but to all believers, a helper. That helper is the Holy Spirit. This helper is from the Father. He would abide in us, dwell, live in all of us who accepted the gift of salvation. And then I have emphasized God's grace in providing the Holy Spirit is not dependent on our obedience or our effort. It is a gift from God. Just like salvation, it is what he is giving to us. It is part of that package, if you will. And that. Let's go down to verse uh, 26. This is the idea, one of the aspects of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is he teaches. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, the, Holy, uh, the Father will send him in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Uh, this verse is uh, not... Um, 
Well, that's what happens when you're typing early in the morning. <laughs> and you hit the wrong key. The Bible is from the Holy Spirit. It's not, this verse is not just for these 12, but it's for all believers. It is how, in the Bible, is how we're taught by the Holy Spirit. Um, that's this idea. That is how the Holy Spirit teaches us, is through the Word of God. We can look at a couple of verses in Second uh, Peter 1.21. I think it's a familiar verse to most of us. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So again, that idea that we are taught through Scripture by the Holy Spirit. And then also, uh, let's look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 21. Well, there is no 21 there. Again, don't type early in the morning. <laughs> and uh, let me, uh, I have a quote here from page uh, 139 of the book on the Apostles' Creed. The Spirit, through his teaching ministry, preserves and protects each individual believer as well as ensures the doctrinal purity of the whole body of Christ. So that is, uh, when he's teaching, that's what, is, what he is doing, is keeping us in line as well as the church. Is that what it is? Okay, could you read it? Yes. And, uh, thank you, Dean. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Or one fourteen. The uh, back in John. Let's go to verses twenty six and twenty seven. This is the idea that the Holy Spirit testifies. John chapter fifteen, and we'll look at verses twenty six and twenty seven. When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, that's where the Holy Spirit is coming from, this, this word counselor, um, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You, will also, you also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. And he's, you know, talking to his apostles here, his disciples, and what they're going to be able to do as well. Um, this idea of testify, it's... it's seen in scripture it's not a, a, a hierarchy it's not like there's the father and then the son and then the holy spirit they're all equal we have that word uh, consubstantial we talked about earlier um, it's a mystery how that functions how the trinity functions we have the example of um, of uh, water h2o is in a liquid form a solid form and a gaseous form so it, that's how we can kind of wrap our head around it a little bit, but it is a mystery. And it's something that we need to make sure when it's being taught and when you're reading about it, 
you're looking at the entirety of scripture not just picking and choosing verses here and there to understand the concept of the trinity and especially the ministry of the holy spirit in our lives so um, there's another quote i'd like to read they just say it so much better than i can this is from page uh, 141 uh, this truth this idea of the spirit testifying protects us from the errors that plague so many churches that place an unbiblical emphasis on the Holy Spirit. The Spirit becomes a center of their faith. The Spirit consumes their thoughts as they try to arouse manifestations of the Spirit in their own lives and congregations. Jesus, however, reminded his disciples that the testimony the Spirit will bring, a testimony about Jesus exalting Christ and pointing us to the hope we have in union with him. The Holy Spirit minister or will always direct us toward the toward Christ. He's not going to direct it toward his own self. And I thought that that was very poignant how they had put it, how Al Mohler had done that. Um, let's look at uh, the fourth point is truth, and we see that in uh, John chapter 16 verses 13 and 14 John chapter 16 and we'll look at ver we'll read verses 13 through 14 when the spirit of truth comes the Holy Spirit he's identified here as truth by Christ comes he will guide you into all the truth he will not speak on his own but he will speak whatever he hears he will also declare to you what is to come he will glorify me, referring to Christ, because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. So again, that idea the Holy Spirit is truth. It's not just a witness to the truth. The Holy Spirit brings conviction to our choices, our lifestyle, and our day-to-day -day actions. As a result of it, it is going to run counter to any of the current cultural trends that we have. I have a verse, uh, John 8, 32. Uh, we could turn to briefly but that's how the Holy Spirit is going to influence us as uh, he is truth John chapter 8 verse 32 and this again you will know the truth and the truth will set you free how do we know that truth it's through the empowering of the Holy Spirit again in that so that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to another aspect of our life in the Spirit. And that is, it's a battle. Um, I don't have time. We don't have time to read Romans chapter 7. But I would take that as a note, and you can see how that battle is. Paul talked about it. Oh, I ain't going to try and quote it. But anyway, that's idea that there's a struggle that goes on. We want to do what's right, but we can't seem to. And so you can see it there. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit will change how we live. Uh, we can turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 13. And there's a trend today. There's a big word here. I'll try and pronounce it for you in just a minute. But let's turn to chapter uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 13. Before we uh, read that, was there any comments on this that passage there in John? Anybody have any thoughts on it that they wanted to bring out? Okay. 
uh, let's look at Romans 8 and we'll read verses 12 and 13 so then brothers we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh for if you live according to the flesh you are going to die but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live that's what it means to be uh, filled with the spirit that Guyane was talking about either earlier to be controlled by it is you're putting to death those deeds those actions that lifestyle that you once lived there's a trend uh, in our culture today in Christianity unfortunately it goes back to a old um, thing that went on in the Old Testament or not in the Old Testament early church history is called antinomianism and it's been ever since day one and it continues on and that's the idea that um, we sin that grace may abound and that's not what's taught in scripture at all Romans turn to Romans chapter 6 and in fact we'll do that I'd like to introduce this quote with that I was uh, when I was in Bible school the quiet man that taught us Romans yelled at the top of his voice when he got to this verse when he got to verse uh, the start of that, uh, verse 2 it says what should we say then should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply and he yelled out meganoito which is the strongest uh, word that you can have in Greek for absolutely not and he yelled at the top of his lungs and it just was out totally out of character for this individual in that so um, this quote um, I'd like to read is the glory of the great exchange is what it's called Christ taking your sin upon himself and crediting his righteousness to you does not however allow for a life of continual unrepentant sin this false notion is known as antinomianism. If Christians live free from the requirements of the law through Christ, then may a Christian live as he or she wishes? Paul asked a similar question at the beginning of Romans 6. When he responded with a resounding by no means, Paul informed Christians that their lives must now be lived in the Spirit. And that's what we read there in Romans chapter 8. Yes, Guyan. Yes. Exactly. it's an intellectual ascent it's that mental, mental ascent to what is being taught here Guyan brought up uh, Romans chapter 8 verses 9 down through uh, the end of verse 11 and um, take time to read it take time to dwell on it it's not a super difficult passage to understand but it's how we should live our lives it's, it's this constant battle that we have and that's how I introduced that um, 
this whole idea is it is a battle and that and Paul spent a lot of time in the central part of the of the book of Romans describing this battle that we live in that um, Christ taking our sins and crediting us crediting us with righteousness again we find another passage in Romans chapter 5 verse 19 uh, Dr. Moeller alluded to it called it the great exchange in that so let's look at uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 19 these are all important verses for to us to live our lives in especially in this day and age because there's this idea that that Christianity can be downplayed God is love it's neutralized that we don't have to live our Christian life we can just do what we want to do so let's look at this verse here in uh, Romans chapter 5 for just as through and this is the great exchange for just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience the many were made righteous. And that man is Jesus Christ. And that. So um, the other thing that we want to see about the life in Christ is we're going to go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, and then also 22 and 23. Because there's that side of what the Holy Spirit does. He empowers us to fight this battle that we live in, but he also we have these gifts of the Spirit that we're to live in and live with. And I was trying to uh, think of a good uh, metaphor, analogy with all the fruit that we have, we're having this year. As I drive down the roads, I see all these apricots, and I go, "Oh man!" <laughs> and that, but I couldn't come up with one because. And uh, if you all have one, then share it with us. But I just couldn't come up with one that made sense, so I'm not going to try. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5, and we'll look at verse 16. We'll start with verse 16. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That idea again, walking, being filled, controlled, that's what the job of the Holy Spirit is. He's directing us toward Christ. Christ is our example. And, that, and then let's look at the fruits of the Spirit. Um... And we're going to bear these in our lives, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. They're all in one. They're not, you can't just have one without having the other. The more you're controlled by the Spirit, the more they're all going to show forth themselves in your life in that. And so it's crucial that you, you do that, that you're allowing yourself to be controlled. Um, Let's look at uh, Galatians 6, 7 through 8. Yes. Yes. It wouldn't work. Yes. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Yeah. Daryl brought up the point that you these fruits of the Spirit, there's no way you can make a law against them, even in, a, in an atheistic nation uh, like Russia or in Islamic countries. They don't have laws against these things. Everybody wants these evidenced 
throughout race yes right correct yes born again and Guyane makes the point that this can only come from someone that's born again that has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them but they certainly nobody's going to make a law against them so we can live out our Christian walk free from persecution in that aspect maybe not in others but in that aspect we could uh, Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 and 8 Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. The idea uh, that Paul's communicating here is that when we're controlled by the Holy Spirit, it's a direct reflection on what is controlling us. And that if we're sowing to the flesh, if we're doing the things of the flesh then that's what we're going to reap we're not going to follow the holy spirit in our life we're not going to it's not going to produce the fruits of the spirit in our lives so again an important point there um, another quote i'd like to share with you and this is a uh, concluding this idea of the holy spirit uh, making sense out of the holy spirit in our lives I believe in the Holy Spirit. Never have six short words confessed something so magnificent, glorious, powerful, and beautiful. This confession asserts nothing less than the power that indwells every believer of Jesus Christ. This confession affirms the truth of the one who abides in us, teaches us, testifies to Christ, bears the fullness of God's truth in our lives. This confession delineates the indescribable need each and every one of God's people have for the ministry of the Spirit in their lives. This confession also encompasses the splendid promises of God contained in the Spirit and the gift of the Spirit. I began this chapter with the lamentable state of pneumatology in contemporary evangelical circles. I pray that God's word and truth outlined in the Apostles' Creed will call us to repentance and to a new vibrant and fruitful relationship with the Spirit of God, the Spirit who dwells in us and who has sealed us forever in eternal promises of the triune God. And I thought again that was an apt way to end this conversation that we've had about the Holy Spirit because it is misrep it is misrepresented in our current evangelical uh, society uh, very much so in that by way of application as I draw this uh, study to a close that we've been doing is the Apostles Creed covers a lot of territory if you will I believe is how it starts out and then it goes down through and we looked at three of those uh, theological classifications we looked at theology Christology and pneumatology when you look at theology obviously you're talking about God the Father we couldn't talk about Christology without talking a little bit about salvation because Christ and salvation are tied so closely together so again you see that even uh, though it isn't directly saying how to be saved within the Apostles Creed it's leading you towards salvation it's pointing the way in that and expecting you to dive into it and then the idea of pneumatology there's no way that you can look at the Holy Spirit without looking at the Trinity and we kind of touched on that 
I hope I've piqued your interest in it, if you will. And so you can see how crucial each one of these is a building um, block for the rest of theology. That you can't, you have to have a, um, a solid understanding of these three to understand God, to understand Jesus Christ, to understand the Holy Spirit and how they all work. It's a building block, if you will. It's foundational that you have a solid understanding of what God the Father is, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And everything else fleshes those out. Um, what I believe matters. It matters in how I live my life. It matters in what I do, how I interact with people. Why I come to church is because I believe. I believe in the church. I believe that it's where we should be um, on a Sunday because that's the time we've appointed to gather. And then I would encourage you to take the time to ponder the Holy, uh, the Apostles' Creed, the history of it, how it leads down a path of systematic theology, if you will, and how it affects how we live out our lives. Um, applying it, using it, it's not something to, you know, take in place of Scripture, but to use to guide you into Scripture, to use as a, an outline, if you will. And, and I hope that I've done it justice. I hope I've encouraged you all to take another look at this, this document and see how it can be effective in our lives today. Um, I'll end with any questions, comments, thoughts. Yes. 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 Right. Yeah. Ted brings out the point. I tried to emphasize it with that big word, consustainable, and that, that they're all equal, that each time the Trinity is mentioned in Scripture, the words are rearranged, the idea that they're equal, that one isn't lesser than the other, but they're all to be looked at and viewed equally. And that, and we have one thing that, in some of my conversations with my sons in past years, one of the things that I tried to emphasize is that God is residing in us, and so we need to live our lives according to that. Would we want God to be part of that? And if He can't be part of that, then we certainly shouldn't be part of that as well. And that, so it's important we recognize that that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's living inside of us. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much that you are a God of history, that you are a God who has revealed yourself to us, that you are a God who loves us, and you want the best for us. And the best that you could do for us was provide a way for us back to you, that you provided the Holy Spirit residing in us. May we submit to his authority. May we be filled with the Holy Spirit. May we allow him to control us, whatever language may work best for us to understand. I pray that through looking at this document called the Apostles' Creed, it can be effective in our lives, Lord, as we, as we ponder it, as we reflect on it in the days and years to come. Thank you for the truth of your scripture. Thank you for this day.
the privilege you've given us to look at your word and see how it applies to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.